Blog Talk Radio. Washington. I'm here with Dr. Nancy Brown. We are both members of NASCA and we wish to welcome you to the Stop Child Abuse Now talk radio show, which is sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. Tonight is Monday, September 11th, 2023. And before I kick off the show, I want to take a moment of silence to recognize those who lost their lives on September 11th, 2001. We will never forget. This is scan number 3,266, and the type of show we have this evening is a special guest tonight, and we have a very special guest tonight. Her name is Brandy Olson from San Francisco, and I will tell you a little bit more about Brandy from the information she provided us before the show. Um, But before that, I want to talk to you a little bit about NASCA and NASCA's mission, because as you know, NASCA is all about child abuse trauma, prevention, intervention, and recovery. Our mission statement is that we have a single purpose at NASCA. It's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. The first goal, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal of offering hope and healing through many different paths, providing services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. So Nancy and I welcome you to join our show tonight by uh, calling in to be a member of our panel. You do not need to have any experience, just a curiosity and willingness to participate. It's very simple. You just call the number, area code 646-595-2118. Again, that number is area code 646-595-2118. We have a back line into the studio, and Dr. Nancy will greet you on our back line and then uh, welcome you into the show. You'll be muted 
But as a panel member, you have an opportunity. Um, I break uh, several times during the show. We break to allow the panel members to ask a question of our special guest, um, anything related to um, our special guest's um, story and testimony. This is her night. And so we, we do like to limit our uh, conversation and questions to her story. So without further ado, let me tell you a little bit more about our special guest. As I mentioned, her name is Brandy Olison. Brandy, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. She's from San Francisco, the San Francisco area in California. Uh, she is a child abuse survivor whose traumatic experiences began as an infant. Placed in foster care at three, she spent 16 years in and out of multiple counties, placements, homes, and levels of sexual physical, emotional, and verbal abuse. To quote Brandy, I started questioning the story of my life and the validity of the allegations and claims I have been told and read about in the few reports I had gathered from my past life, she says. Ten months, paying for background checks, calling state agencies, local agencies, county agencies, and filing three different police reports. And she says, I had to step away at the beginning of the year due to emotional exhaustion and distress, lack of support or advocacy, disappointment at the very sketchy approach law enforcement took in the few counties I thought reports in. She continues, I decided to open some emails from my prior year's research about my childhood. She had forgotten that she was emailed digital copies of photos she had been given to an, and it, she had, had given to an investigative journalist who ended up being unable or unwilling to help. When she zoomed in on the images, she found some disturbing evidence of a traumatic event that affected multiple individuals, adults, children, and a dog. She says, I've been in shock and struggling to find access to resources, terminology, case studies, reforms, etc. Brandy understands the system is busy helping the children currently within it, but finds it hard to let go of her need to understand what happened, why there are no reports, records, medical proof or information. This is something I didn't know about my life or myself until just last month, she says. She feels lost in need of support, direction, and guidance. Well, I'm so glad that Brandy is on our show this evening, and this is a place where you will find all of those, um, all three, support, direction, and guidance from your NASCA family. You are now a member of the NASCA family. You are now a member of NASCA. There is no paperwork. There's no initiation. It is once you express interest, you are in, and we call ourselves the NASCA family. So you um, will be very well supported, Brandy. And I just to let you know, besides my uh, co-host, Dr. Nancy, we have Gloria, who is called in to support you on the panel, and Philip. So without further ado, Brandy, I'm going to unmute your line and welcome. Sorry, now I'm in tears. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh. <laughs> Well, Thank you for saying that. Let me tell you, you something. <laughs> of course. Now, first of all, you know, all prompt, Dr. Nancy and I, I will prompt you with some questions. You know, this is very relaxed. Um, and by the way, the first time I did my own show on NASCA, I was shaking in my boots. So you sound very calm. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was so Thank nervous. Um, and um, so I, I think, think it helps I haven't both. listened to anything of you guys yet. So yeah, I exactly. kind of jumped into this. Good. Good. <laughs> That, good. And we, we do understand. And so I will just prompt you with some questions. 
I like to go chronologically through life because it just it, it's can I it's sort can of I correct one thing that kind of was important sure. to me to correct um sure. I just want to say that it was three days old it was very important that you guys understand that it was three days old that I began my time in the foster oh, care system three days old thank you thank you for thank that you. that is you're welcome that is beyond that is newborn not even infant that is newborn yeah it's important to me um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah the story is yeah well thank you correct thank you for yes. making that that correction and bringing that to our attention because that is a very important a very important part of your story i do want to yes. let you know too that you know i'll prompt you with some questions we'll go along chronologically but you're totally in control of this it's a relaxed discussion the 90 minutes go by super fast believe it or not and anything yes. you don't feel comfortable talking about or you don't want to answer questions or you don't want to talk, I mean, you are totally in control. If you need to take a break, can you take a minute, that is perfectly fine. So this is your show. There are no rules, you know, um, at all. So um, you are in control. I just wanted to let you know that you have um, all of your choices available to you. Of course. Thank you. Um, but with that being said, and by the way, I'm also a Bay Area-born California girl. I was actually born Yay. in um, Stanford, California, born and raised oh, wow. um, in Menlo Park, um, and um, then lived in San Francisco before I moved up to Seattle, Washington. I li- but I, uh, so I'm familiar with the area in which you are from, and several and a lot cool. of those counties which you might name. So you're in my you're in my old stomping yeah. grounds. Um, nice. So then you could have some understanding so, of um, you would know some of the politics and the the way our yeah. right, Bay Area works at times. <laughs> oh yeah, yes I do, yes I do. Um, so let's yeah, start I was born in the, Redding, up in Shasta County. So I was actually not from uh-huh. there, but I'm, I'm I was born in Redding, um, northern Shasta. I actually it's funny because I haven't I don't remember anything obviously at that time but uh my one of my favorite memories ever in my life was uh a time i spent on shasta uh lake shasta just the whole day was just amazing so it's funny because it's a little ironic uh serendipitous in a negative way <laughs> but yeah oh shasta is a, a beautiful place i've only driven by but i know people have you know houseboats on lake shasta and they go renting places oh, yeah. and amazing. it's a place where a lot of people <laughs> recreate there are a lot of beautiful places up there near Reading. Um, we used to stay in Wairika a lot when we were driving down to the Bay Area for the day, so not too, not not too far from Shasta. But um, so you were born, and if you wouldn't mind just you know telling us a little bit, at three days you were put into foster care. But yeah, I can. About your, about I, your yeah, parents? it's kind of funny because I could tell you that. Um, I have, like, it's funny that I, I try to, I, Bill uh, Murray is the person I spoke to before I came on today, and, um, you know, I was trying to explain to him, like, I have the story that I've read my entire, like, childhood that I, like, snuck away from my foster dot parents at the time. They had this, like, file that I, like, found, and it was the ooh-la-la, you're not supposed to go in there and look in that file with, like, the liquor cabinet and the medicines and all of this stuff you're not supposed to get into as like a 11 and 12 year old child that, who doesn't go into the places you're not supposed to go. So I uh, took the file cause it was mine. And that was the story I thought was my life. And I could, t- I, the thing I want to say is that a lot of the things that you'll hear today is that I will speak about the file that I had. And then there's a file that I requested from Alameda County, which was the county that I was placed in. 
even though I was born in Reading, I was born to a, my mother's name is Sabrina, and she was 15 years old, and she was a runaway from Alameda County. She was born um, of married parents that were going through a divorce at the time, and she was this middle child of three, three girls. And um, the oldest girl was a uh, punk rock in San Francisco, runaway, kind of like 17, 18, just didn't want to deal with her parents and all that. And the middle child was my mother. And then there was the younger um, of them. And so Sarah was the youngest. She's no longer with us. She actually is a part of my story as well. But um, it's a very long story. I'm going to try to keep it very simple. But my mom was a runaway from what I was told because she was stealing and running and not going to school. And she was caught doing things that she shouldn't be doing. But I also was told she was like a great athlete who's a soccer player and quote unquote, the word that a lot of people have been abused don't like hearing a beautiful, really well attractive, nice looking young woman. It's hard for me to hear that. I don't like being told those things. I don't know why, but I figured out recently why those words trigger me. (laughs) Um, Those words shouldn't be used to describe children. Um, and especially not in files, but um, mm-hmm. anyways, mm-hmm. what I would say is that my mom was 15 and she was, um, I don't, I was told, this is the thing, I don't know the truth and this is where I, I will hire a private investigator to help me find more information out because I don't believe everything I know now, which is she gave birth to me as a runaway. She had run away from the group home she was placed in from Alameda. She was in Livermore and they placed her in, in Reading. And I was told by her that she was um, placed in a um, group home she didn't like. So she she met somebody. She said that she had to, when she ran away, she knew that she had to give something in return in order to get what she needed, which was shelter or food or possibly weed or something to drink or whatever she was doing. And so a lot of times that meant that she had to, like, give in to, like, sexual favors. And so she doesn't know who my father is, supposedly. That's what I was told, but my file will say differently. Um, but I, I'm talking about my biological mother, and I, I have a lot of respect and love for her. That I've learned recently to not hate her and be angry. That's a long story. But anyways, she was 15, and um, she uh, got pregnant, and I was told by her that the woman I actually ended up being in a foster home with, she actually, her name, I don't want to name her actually right now, but she's a foster mom that's well-known in Reading, and I guess I was placed, my mother, who is also a state ward, was running away, and she was matched up in this house that had older men that were much older than these teen moms, and she said that supposedly there was a lot of teen moms that were her age, and there was older men that, her age, like, that were, like, similar to this man that ended up being married to her two months after I was born. So I was mm-hmm. born to a 15-year-old mother in Reading, and she was getting married to a 48-year-old known pedophile who was matched oh my to God. her through a house in Reading in 83, March of 83. And that is the beginning of my story. <laughs> it's not very great. And I'm sorry, I do have some humor in it because I don't know how to handle it sometimes. It's just mm-hmm. so ridiculous. And I'm angry about it. <laughs> I'm still processing. Well, I, I, you know, we can't, pro- I can't, we'll always be processing this. So it's like, I don't know how to explain it, but. I'm sure you guys know. Uh, we understand that. Yeah, we understand that because, you know, um, Dr. Nance and I were talking before the show came on that, you know, recovery is not an end point. You know, when you process it's part of your recovery, it's, it's just, it's a journey. Um, and yeah. it's something that is... Um, My story's not a, on package yet, you know, and I don't I think it right. should be ever yet. I mean, I think there, yeah. I think a lot of more people need to research their stuff 
I hope that I can motivate yeah. others to do. I have actually kind of helped in other, in my small like way of looking into things. I've helped my community by, by not being embarrassed to talk about it and by communicating to people. Say, How are you doing? Actually, I'm not doing okay, mm-hmm. and this is why. I've had police mm-hmm. officers, men, men never want to talk about their abuses, and I've had people open up and share their story with me. And I, yeah. I felt like moved by it because I didn't realize that all you do sometimes is just open up and talk about it, and it helps others to be able to hear that it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. Exactly, your testimony. You're absolutely right. And, and what you're doing tonight on this show and sharing um, the truth of your childhood um, and your abuse is that you are helping so many other people who um, yeah. you're inspiring others to do that. It, you know, it's, it's, it's such an impactful thing, profoundly impactful um, thing to do. And, uh, and so I think a lot of takes a lot of courage. Thank I have you. an incredible amount of respect for you. Um, I see, it's on. the thing that I feel the most passionate about in my life, <laughs> if that makes any sense, and it's the thing I feel the least embarrassed about. And I don't think, if I was in front of a million people, I think I'd be able to speak without quaver in my voice. That's how angry I am and how, how much it matters mm-hmm. to me. That it doesn't, like, I have no embarrassment of it. There's nothing embarrassed. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed or embarrassed. I feel like I do want to stand at the top of the mountains and, like, scream, like, this is, like, not okay like why is this like being mm-hmm. hidden why is everyone okay like why is this continuing to just be shoved under a rug like we talk about people getting murdered and like accidentally killed all the time but you know sometimes murder happens for a reason like well someone's angry about something and, but what did the children do to deserve and no one deserves any of the bad things that happen to them mm-hmm. but things that happen to children is just so much more evil in my mind and i just feel like mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense that there's not more that's done to just for justice for us and the survivors, like, it's just, it's really sad that I was born in a time that, oh, because I was born in 83 before the Adoption Act of 97, I've learned a lot about law in the last year, <laughs> and uh, I had mm-hmm. to, and it's like, I don't understand why I don't have, a, I've called the Ombudsman of Foster Care, the Foster Care Ombudsman of California, I've called, I called DC, I called the FBI a few times, I'm like trying, and then I just had to stop, because I was like, I sound crazy, I literally sound crazy. And I have to figure out how to present this in a nicer, nicer package that is presentable enough to, and, and, and not annoyingly, like, over-the-top abusive that what people would want to actually help. And I'm talking about you guys. I'm talking about, like, the public. They can't handle it. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear it. And they shut off. And people's eyes start glazing over. And I can just hear it in their voices. I've had dozens of phone calls every month to different agencies. I've, and I, I'm exhausted, and I can just tell when someone's going to be a dud or not. And I just... I kind of shut down and I say thank you so much and I just hang up because I just know it's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I've just been trying we and trying do. and trying. We have a long way to go. We absolutely have a long way to yeah. go. And I think that the, the biggest um, weapon that we have is to use our voices um, because secrecy is the most prolific enabler of, of these heinous crimes exactly. to continue on and the cycles to continue on. So, you know, breaking that silence, is, which is what you're doing, and um, speaking the truth, and using your voice, it is, um, I always, my biggest, people always ask, you know, what bit of advice would you give them? My biggest, besides telling, you know, besides tell someone you trust your story, you know, tell someone, but never underestimate the impact, you know, of even a small, you know, don't think of things as small, because something that you might think is minor or small can have oh, a big no, impact. Oh, no, I agree with you. Plant, oh, plant I, those seeds, I know. You know. I know. Um, and never... Yeah, oh, believe never me, I never thought I'd be on, a, on an interview right now, even though it's just, yeah. it, it, to me, I was like, yeah, I am literally, 
yeah, I, I believe you in that because one little one, I've made so many phone calls and I've been said no to so many times. And there's been times where I've gotten just one little, one little thread was unraveled. I picked a thread so far that I got it finally and it unraveled so much. And I was like, Oh my gosh, just one, one, like it just takes a little bit. And then it's like, Oh, okay, here we are. Like, and the more you do it, it's like the truth will prevail because Truth. I think people can recognize truth. You, you can you can see it. You can. It's, it's it's tangible in a sense. Like, and that's what's happened to me when I started realizing my truth in my life. I'm like, wow. Finally, things started making more sense in why I was the way I am, and why the way I feel I feel, and even some of the scars I have, and the way I've been, and some of the triggers I have. It just makes it makes me forgive myself more, and I'm not such a like. Um, anomaly or have the scarlet letter of whatever we don't have an a but what is it what scarlet letter do we wear as foster kids in this society um it's i wrote a lot i wrote wrote an essay once (laughs) about it it's like it's important sorry go ahead oh no no. As, as i read you know as i read your um biography that you provided us with that is one thing that resonated with me and this has come up too is that you know sometimes we won't have all the answers and a lot of times our memories are repressed and then they start coming forward. You know, we don't remember and then something will, you know, spark a memory to, to be pushed forward. But I think, yeah. you know, we discussed that, that having, you know, having the information and seeking out the information and getting the answers, you know, it, it doesn't change the past. It doesn't change what happened. But it does help to put those together. And I do think that it helps to have, Self-compassion, you know, just, just to know the truth. You know, we want it. No, we want also, know. you know what else it does? Yeah. It burns a trail for the other people because, you know what, if I'm the first person up this mountain, this little mountain here in San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm going to burn a hole through Marin County. Yes, if anybody from Marin County is listening, I'm happy because I swear to you, <laughs> I do not care. But I will tell you that there are, you know, like how there's like undeveloped land. There are undiscovered atrocities and undiscovered um, connections of disgusting uh, uses of power and control and the lack of Internet or reporting back in the 80s and 90s. But guess what? If I, if I don't care if it takes me the whole entire life of my life to get some kind of path going, and the path is that I will find a way that someone that goes through what I go through, I don't care if they're older than me or younger than me, if they want to call me or talk to me, I can at least help them and I could put together a way that there's, a, there's a, every path, every time I could make that phone call, there's going to be another person called behind me. Or maybe the reason why I have such a good response to the people that are nice to me because they've already had a call lifeline. But the more calls that are made like ours, is the easier it's going to be for someone like us to go through this and not have to go through so much to get answers and not have to feel this way that I feel. And that's what I feel passionate about. And I never thought I was always selfish and I never really wanted to empathize with others that went through what I went through, but it's actually really, really, really healing. And I hate that. I didn't want to feel that way. I felt like the Grinch. I'm like, no, I don't want to share this with anybody. I just want to be grumpy and sad in my own way, but it does feel good to help others. And I have, and I will, and I want to. And it will help me as well. And it's hard to say that it's a weird feeling to trust others, but I want to. Well, you're doing it tonight because, as you know, our shows are archived. Um, your scan number is 3266, as I mentioned. We've done over 4,000 shows within NASCA. And what's really wonderful is those that are not live streaming in right now, um, we have, as you know, NASCA is an international organization. 
and we have an international presence. And so we have so many uh, members all over the world that will go back and listen to these shows, and it helps them. It helps them in their own recovery. It helps them. So, so not only you know are you helping people in real time right now, but you'll this this archive show will be helping others all over the world for a very long time to come. So, you know, you're putting it out there, and I really I commend you for that. And so, what you just discussed is is this is the platform. I'm so glad you came on NASCA because you are doing it. I would like to um, see if it's okay with you because believe it or not, we're already almost a half an hour in. I can um, just bring in um, our panel members to just um, ask you a question. Um, so I'm going to start with Dr. Nancy. And Dr. Nancy, I'm unmuting your line, my co-host. Dr. Nancy, you're on with Brandy. Hello. Hi. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, Brandy. Thank you for joining us tonight. I uh, just want to say um, we're so proud of you for taking the steps to to not allow your voice to be silenced and for you to start really coming out and sharing your story. Uh, so we just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for your voice. Thank you. Okay, that's the first part. Another thing is, well, you said a couple of great things, but um, I remember you saying basically you're learning how to be gentle with yourself and understand yourself, understand why you're the way you are, and that makes you even more have more compassion, right? More um, yeah. compassion for that for that person that has that's gone through or has been through what you've been through. So um, I just love that. I love that you know you're focused on your growth, and um, I just love what you're talking about, what you're sharing with us. And again, I just wanted to thank you for uh, for being with us tonight. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It, it is hard to, um, and when I say I'm focused on my growth, it, it sounds really like it sounds like real nice in a package, but I will say to you that I've been through it in the past six months, um, and I believe it's a direct correlation with the amount of investigation I was doing in my my past. My mental health went so far down because I had no psychiatry or therapy, and um, the psychiatry that I had was in San Francisco, and I moved out of uh, San Francisco area, and so I lost that um, psychiatry really quickly, and the medication I was on, I stopped taking immediately during a traumatic, like, discovery and being in a manic state, I went through it. Like, I've had so many police interactions, and um, I've had CPS interactions and animal care control interactions because of the anger and frustration and the viciousness of my um, healing. It's just, it's like not, it's not pretty. It's hard. It's it's really, really, really rough. And the, the place where I found peace was to accept that I was going through something and that I, I had to, like, really just come to terms with it and like look in the mirror literally and say like I need help I need to understand that look I thought I was strong enough to do this on my own and I had to put it like that's why I meant when I put it I literally put every single thing in the box I deleted interviews that probably would have been helpful for me I deleted things that were probably helpful for my case I literally had to like change my like everything on my phone and just delete everything every research I had but luckily I didn't delete throw away the paperwork so everything I like, like all the interviews I wrote down, I put them in, the, in my box and I had it put away. But it, it's like, I think that maybe a month ago, I wouldn't have been able to have this interview. But luckily, I got into subsidy housing and I'm not working right now. I was in a car accident last year, which kind of 
was a serendipitous, again, not used in the right way, but I mean, like, it was great that I got in a car accident because it gave me the opportunity to get MRIs and scans of my body that helped me correlate with some past traumas that I'm talking about that happened to me that I just discovered. So long story short, I'm still in the very pre, like, prequel of, like, even finding, like, healing. I'm just new into psychiatry right now um, with a new person and very mild medication to help with my, like, anxiety and frustrations. And then I'm waiting for a therapist because I have a hall, a tall request, which is I need someone who is an expert in trauma therapy and complex trauma, which I never even knew existed until two months ago, and someone who knows about the Stockholm Syndrome and someone who is willing to write letters to court or stand up with me and fight with my battle and not hide behind the bureaucracy of a lot of these nonprofits that are there to help us but can't help us. So what is the point of it? I don't know. I'm done with my I'm done. That's all. Are you guys there still? Yeah, yeah. Hello? Oh, sorry. Yes. It's okay. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nancy. Um, and I think intera- all interaction is really, really good because it helps you to, you know, talk about your story and your experience. I'm going to bring on Gloria. And Gloria, I am unmuting your line, and you are on with Brandy. Thank you for calling in. Hi, Brandy. I got to tell Gloria. you, honey, my name is Lori. It's Lori Purcell. Lori. Um, hi, oh, Lori. I'm sorry, Lori. I, I am so glad Lori. to hear that you've done so much work already that you want to, you. you know, find it all out to put your puzzle pieces together because that's what everybody does. If they don't know themselves, they look for who are they, and that's normal. Um, and you have got um, issues since three days after you were born. So you've got like a lifetime of all kinds of abuses, all kinds of people who just kind of threw you around. You have no foundation. And when you're a kid, you need a foundation to grow normally. You don't develop it. Um, You go to school and you learn how to socialize. You get yourself information. And then you're supposed to come home to a loving family, but that's not what you had. So you're very aware of what's going on with you. Um, There are going to be some answers you're not going to be able to find the answer to some questions because either people just didn't file it or people just aren't around anymore. So don't let that discourage you. That's going to be kind of normal, too, as you fish for things people don't want to go back into, and it's their record. So it takes patience. And then you just have to accept who you are now. You know, you're going to get this vision. You're going to find out who you came with at a certain point they're just going to come to you it's hard for me to it's a, it's not about the, the, there's a part of me right now that's really really angry at the, the certain there's a couple of individuals that are still functioning normal people that are like working in the environment of the court system doing things they shouldn't be doing that that's my fire in my under my tail right now is to like I want those people out of their office, their, what they're doing. They, I don't think I'm, I, it's vindictive probably, and I'm angry still. And it is about my healing, it is, but it's still about getting those people away from others that, are, that could be harmed by their choices and what they're doing and their selfishness. And you I'm not afraid to say that. You don't like it. Yeah, you say what you don't like, and I'm telling you, 
I see a fighter in you beyond what you see. I think you're going to make tremendous progress because you have sort of like a hyperactivity kind of thing. You want something so bad and you want it done now. I didn't know um, a new file. You know, it's funny you say that because there's a file I received from Alameda, and I have to tell you the story about Alameda County. They weren't going to give it to me, and they couldn't. I called them every week, twice a week, and they, they, they knew my name at the end of this all. They didn't think they were going to get it to me before, before I turned 40 because I was trying to get the statute of limitations child abuse case seen because I, I you know, everybody knows about the, the California, I'm hoping they know that the statute of limitations changed and everyone could fight for it until they're 40. Well, I tried my hardest and it didn't work, which is fine. And the thing about it is, in the end of it, though, this file I got from Alameda County, it says in there, which it didn't say in my other file, which is funny that this, the people I got this file from, the original file I owned, it was from the, my abusers, and they were the ones who wrote it. So now I understand why it didn't say the things that the Alameda County file said. It said I wanted to be a lawyer. When I was six years old, I wanted to be a lawyer. I actually was pre-med when I was an adult. And the thing about it is I have the brain of a lawyer, though. Like, I've always been in every group home I've ever been in, especially the last one. If anybody – I've shared this uh, podcast. Uh, I, I shared this link with somebody, some of the, maybe the staff members on there right now laughing. But I was – in my last group home, I was a teen mom, and my daughter now is 24. But I was a teen mom here in San Francisco, Mount St. Joseph, St. Elizabeth. And – I, I lawyered my way out of every punishment I got that they had to have a meeting and say, do not let Brandy get out of her punishments anymore. Like, she is good at this. So just, just don't do it. I'm, I'm able to reason. Like, so I think that helps me in this. And it, I, also because of the discoveries I found and their medically discovered, I'm a medical background. I have a medical background, so it makes me feel less emotionally connected. Um, some of the things that make me more hard, I'm more emotionally connected to the fact that I don't have any unconditional love or family or mothers or father or anything. That is very hard for me. Um, the other the abuses, for some reason, are something that don't trigger me yet, maybe because I'm not there in my healing yet. Well, first love is supposed to come from our parents. Um, I know. Hopefully parents are ready to have kids, but when they're young teenagers, they're, not, they, they're kids themselves, so... There's not going to be yeah. any kind of real foundation because they didn't develop one. So as a I lot forgave of people, my mom last year. You're wonderful because I, I never did mine. So it was her fault. She was only 15. She was a baby. So you understand. You've got compassion, and that's what you need in, in your um, goals. You know, you need the can- the compassion. You need the pa- just regular everything. I see that you have it. And although you say you're at the beginning, you know what you have to do. And I think once you get yourself that therapist that you should thoroughly look for to meet I the need it. I don't know where to find. I swear, I promise you. You can just keep doing I'm it. I'm like good yeah, you have to be. It took me two <laughs> years like to find a therapist for me. So there's no yeah. cap on when that, that person's going to come around. You have to kind of Shop around. That Coast, person will be there. You see me? You're from the East Coast, aren't you? I'm from New York. <laughs> oh, see, you guys are so much more ahead of us. I keep calling all these places, and they're all from the East Coast. They're like, sorry, honey, we can't help you. And I'm like, please, just help me. You guys are like yeah. 10 years ahead of California legally and, and mentally and everything. Like, I don't know. Sorry, guys. Yeah, they're overloaded, though. <laughs> You don't want anything to do with New York, believe me. It's not good there. <laughs> you I stay know. on your track. <laughs> Take your time. Make sure you're safe. Be patient, and you will accomplish you. your goal. 
I really appreciate you, Lori, right? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Thank you so much. You're and I'm going to bring on Philip right now. And Philip, thanks for calling in. And you're on with Brandy. Do you have any questions for her? Um, did you go to school for anything? Um, yeah, I did. I was. I was in. I went to City College of San Francisco when I was like 16 or I think I was 17. I started taking like just general education, and then I transferred to Tulane University in New Orleans. And I was uh, trying to be a doctor, but it didn't work out um, the way I wanted it to. So I um, I moved back from New Orleans to San Francisco and just been working in the medical field ever since. I want to go back to school for something. I just, I'm on the fence of either going to law school or nursing school. Oh, okay. Good luck with your healing journey. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Do you know me or something? Or <laughs> What? Oh, I'm just wondering if you're curious what, what what was the question about me going to school for? What is that? Um, what is what was your curiosity for? What is that about? I'm sorry. Um, is it well? I was well. You were sharing your story, and I was just curious, like what your story consisted of. I guess consisted of. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, besides that, I oh I I understand what you mean. Like there's other things besides what I went through, of course. Um, I also traveled around the world, which is really amazing. I was able to leave when I was 21, and I was gone for about nine months. My daughter was, um, it was, it was she just started, she was, she was actually had her first uh, year of kindergarten without me and was with my adopted parents at the time. And um, I went to uh, Turkey, Romania, Bulgaria, Nepal, Thailand, Laos, and Australia, and Fiji. Um, and I was really, really, really fortunate to do so, um, and I'm really grateful for my experience doing that. Um, I was able to hike in the Annapurnas. It's one of my favorite things to do is backpack. Um, I also cycle a lot. I'm a, bi- a bicyclist. I love to cycle. I used to ride my bike from, um, I did like 100th century, like I would do 100-mile rides, and I rode my bike from Los- San Francisco to Los Angeles on the AIDS ride. Um, and I love to backpack, so I've done Hetch Hetchy a few times. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm really into uh, basketball. <laughs> like I, yeah, like I have, I had my daughter when I was 15. I'm also now a grandmother. My daughter just had a baby. She's six months, a baby, six months old. He's a boy, um, Jalen. And, um, I have a son who's 10. So, but, uh, I tell everybody that I'm not, I'm Brandy and I'm also a mother and I'm also a survivor. Like everything I am, I don't feel like I don't like being labeled as one thing. I just am who I am. I've been through so much, but I've also had a great, great, great experiences, and I'm happy for what I've been through in that sense. Does the exercise help with your journey, your recovery? A hundred percent, yes. I think that the reason why I've had such a hard time the last year is because my car accident in August, it caused some pain in my, um, my legs and my neck that really – debilitated my ability to work um, and function in the gym and go running and swimming and stuff. So it's been a really, I've never had any physical ailments that like were that like, um, like in the forefront of my life to where like it causes me. Now I realize why I never like to sit down or lay down recently. It's just like, it hurts to get up and down from that. So it's, it's, yes, long story short, the exercise has helped my mental health, 
hundred percent. Like I know that when I was exercising, um, you find it's funny you ask that because when I was at city college, I would literally take like, I would start my day with yoga. Then I would be in my math class. Then I would go to track and then I'd be in my English class. Then I might, I would literally take like three PE classes and then like three or three regular classes. So like, I could have been like a PE major at that point. I just, I love physical education and I, I love learning how to move my body and it helps my mental state a lot because you're focusing on breathing and breathing, as we know, mindfulness and yoga and meditation all help in mental health. If you don't know, now, you know, <laughs> look it up. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm one sorry. more question. One more question. Yeah, go ahead. Do you do any volunteer work? I have in the past. I do not now because I don't know how to start. I I have a hard time with self, um, like self worth and like feeling like I I get nervous about what I have to offer and what I don't know how to I don't I haven't really developed a sense of who I am and how to like what to offer the world and also learning boundaries and like like being not being codependent and not um, I get scared around like people because I'm easily influenced and I'm learning I really want to like. I guess like what I've been dealing with in the last year is like building a foundation of myself and I want to be able to volunteer, but that means that I want to volunteer with like correct boundaries and proper like sense of self. And I want my mental health to be in a place where I don't get, I don't over, overstep my boundaries and, and overstep my, and overstimulate my life by taking on too much or also like overdoing it to somebody that needs more boundaries and be like over pushing it. And I haven't learned that enough yet. I think therapy is important for me to have before I start volunteering. I did volunteering more like with like, um, I volunteered in the neuroscience lab of UCSF uh, for a year, like doing like um, neurogenesis type stuff, studying um, lab, lab, mice brains and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I can't struggle with boundaries with other people. Say that again. I kind of struggle with boundaries with other people. Yeah, it's hard. Um, like, in which way do you feel like you struggle? Um, like, I'm aggressive and, like, I'm kind of aggressive. I could be very aggressive. I get – I – I. it's not appropriate to be angry when you're driving and someone, like – like, it's not even – in some days I'm really not aggressive, and that's why I re, I'm recognizing that there's a – there's a mental health deficit in my, my cognition and my ability to really like differentiate like threats and stress. And I'm realizing, okay, why is my fight or flight going off when someone cut me off? Or why is my fight or flight going off when I'm being called a bitch in line? Excuse my language. I'm not supposed to cuss online, but um, I, it's one of those things like, I, you have to, it's, I had to accept that I have to always be aware of myself at this point in my life if I want to change and be better. And I want to change and be better because I hate feeling ostracized in the community. And I feel ostracized in the community because of the way that my, my emotional regulation is not of a normal human that hasn't been through trauma. And I think that if you don't work on that, then it cuts yourself short of getting to know yourself and being able to be truly loving to your own self because you're going to always feel like bad about it. It's hard not to feel bad about having bad interactions with the public or bad interactions with your colleagues or with your classmates. You know, if you, am I making, does that help you at all? What I'm saying? Or it's, it's like, um, it was a lot it's important. Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a lot. 
Do you ever get jealous of other people's but, ability to cope and be productive? A hundred percent, yes, all the time, too much. I have worked on that better lately. I have, I actually have um, gotten, I was really jealous actually of like women in general and like like a weird like thing about like looks are going to get attention and that finally went away when I realized that I accepted myself for who I am and what I look like and my love for myself helped me get over that and so I believe that if I learn to love myself more and I work on those skills that other people have, because I don't know what they struggle with. They, everyone has something they're struggling with. I'm like, no one has a perfect life. And although they might seem like they have their stuff together in that sense, they might have a deficit somewhere else. And so I don't feel envious any longer. I actually find it challenging to go up to someone I feel like usually would feel envious and ask them, how do you do it? Like, you're so good at it. Like, I do that to my partner, to my family members, to my friends. I never even saw it before, but recently I've been more open to it. And I'll say to them, you know, I really like how you do this. How do you, like, what do you, like, what, where'd you learn that skill? Because I didn't have a parent to teach it to me. And so if you see something that you're jealous of somebody, challenge your jealousy to say, hold on, back up. That person didn't do anything wrong to you. Their jealousy is kind of a negative feeling. Maybe you could think about, like, I, I envy um, you look up to, and then you can say, hey, I, I'm really, I really love your energy and how you do this. How can I do that? Even someone you barely know. It's a good way to learn how to, like, do communication with people in public, too. What's well, a good <laughs> way to, to do practice communication, asking somebody how they do something that you like? Yeah, uh, yeah, that, you, that you're envious of. If you're envious of something, a skill somebody has, rather than being envious, try to teach yourself to ask that person how they obtain that skill or look that skill up yourself and then see what it is that takes that. Or like I've started to just look, literally just look things up on YouTube and there's a lot of great self-help on YouTube with people that are actually like doctors that like will talk about a certain subject that's really bothering you. Like you there, I'm sure there's people talking about that envy of others skills. And then you could see like it'll break, break, break down a lot of things for you. I just learned how to just fix myself through the each little thing, and it sucks, but you have, that's how we have to is people, and you don't have a therapist. You, if you have a will, there's a way. You know what I mean? And it seems like you do have a will because you're asking me that question, and we don't even know each other. And I, it's, I really feel great that you asked me that. Thank you for trusting me to have an answer for you. All right. I hope you get better from your car, right? You too. Thank you. I appreciate I mean, You too. I hope you feel better with whatever you've been through in your life. All right. Thank you for great, great questions. This has been a great discussion. Thank you. So, so it's refreshing. Yeah. It's really nice to be able to help somebody yeah. else. Well, that's one thing I love about NASA is just the platform because, you know, we all um, are, as Bill Burry, who you spoke with, he's our founder and, and president of NASCA, you know, our stories may be slightly different, but a lot of times the feelings are the same, you know, and, and we understand, you know, there's uh, an ability to empathize um, from similar, share, you know, experience. And um, when I came on NASCAR and told my story for the first time, um, I had really never told anybody my story. I was shaking my boots, and I, um, I didn't realize um, how powerful it was to not feel alone anymore because um, people understood. They, they understood exactly um, what I had gone through, and that was a first for me. And um, it's very powerful not to feel alone um, in your recovery journey um, because um, a lot of times 
um, I wasn't alone in recovery, but I was alone in the, the abuse. Um, and so that, yeah. that feeling of being alone was a familiar one. And so I felt like I came home um, when I found um, my Nazi community, uh, as strange as it, as it sounds, because I could just be myself. Um, you can be yourself and you can talk about your experiences and you are being met with um, those of us um, that understand, really, truly do understand. Um, and, you know, one thing that you, you had mentioned about, you know, obviously not having parents, you were, you were put into foster care at three days old. Your mother was 15 years old. And, um, you know, Lori had also mentioned this as well, but, you know, it, child, early childhood development, as you know, it's zero to three are the most important years for that bonding, um, that bonding and the development of, of esteem and that sense of security. And um, a lot of us were robbed of that because we were born into abuse, um, into maltreatment. Yeah. And for me, in terms of recovery, and I'm hearing this and what you're saying, is that um, we have, for me, recovery was also learning to reparent myself. I had to raise myself. Mm-hmm. I had to figure out how to do that. That was the hardest thing. I had to figure out how to not only raise myself, and like you said, you know, instead of being upset that, I didn't know how to do something or was never given the opportunity. I just, you know, learned that it's possible. You know, these people yeah. that were exemplifying it showed me that it was possible for it to happen and I could actually teach myself how to do that, um, that I wasn't pigeonholed yeah. into life as it was. But there were all, you know, that's the hope and healing that we talk about in the mission statement. And I believe that you're saying that. And I just want to share with you, you know, that's, to me, it's, it's just part of recovery is that we're, we're learning how to raise ourselves and we're learning how to nurture ourselves as these, you know, past experiences and these memories, you know, like you said, you got some information from um, an MRI. I think it was from um, an injury. I, you know, will, we will, I did, but I don't have anybody to read it. <laughs> that's the problem. I don't have, yeah. that's where I'm, I'm, I'm stuck at an impasse, impasse, impasse. Yes. An impasse. <laughs> I, I have like, I have all this evidence and I have this, like, I have all this like drive, right? But I have, I can only put so much energy. There's only 24 hours in a day. And I have, yeah. I have other things that are exhausting to me. That's why I'm so livid and angry about it because, like, there should be someone or some agency that's like, hey, oh, my gosh, you're telling me this happened and this happened while you were in the state system? We need to get on top of this right now. Like, where's the pathologist? Where's the doctor that's going to analyze me? Where's someone that's going to read? I need a radiologist that's uh, able to read these MRIs and say, hey, you know what? I I remember I I I could see a pattern of uh this 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 incident or this trauma I could see the scarring mm-hmm. or whatever, but I can't get there. There's no footing. There's no. That's what I'm trying to chisel out of the mountain. I love mountains, so I'm going to say that a lot. When I talk. It's, like, yeah. it's like the footing. The footing. Uh, I will create a footing for the next person and for myself. I don't care. I'm not going to drop off this ledge. I am going to continue going because it's that important to me that that it should be. It's to me if it feels because I work in the medical field. I've been in the medical field for over 20 years, and if it feels like a duh. Why isn't there something about this happening? And it feels. If I feel that passionate about it. And I can separate myself. I'm really good about that. For some reason, I'm able to take away my emotional connection to some of the things I've been through and think of it as like an outsider. Maybe that's the way way I protect myself. But as an outsider looking at this, I'm like, this is atrocious. Where are, where is the justice? And there has to be, I just know there is. And I've read about 
statute of limitations and the fact that there's tolling on people that go through things like this as a child. So I just haven't found the right person yet, but I will. And then that, mm-hmm. I believe that this case will help others in the situation that I've been through. And I think some people don't even know to question their own childhood or their own foster care situation or the file that they don't have that they can receive and just ask for. Some people don't know. They mm-hmm. can just write the county they're from. Each county you lived in will have paperwork and information about where you lived. Medical records are our records to get. We are allowed to have these records. These, this isn't being advertised. It does sure say, hey, you need to be, if you need extra money on the foster care. Uh, when I was riding on the bus in my town, San Francisco, need extra money? Ever thought about doing foster care? I am so sorry. That is not a way to advertise. That is not mm-hmm. what you advertise for foster care. So for me, I want to be the person on the other side. I will put as much energy on what you guys are doing as I can, and I want to, and I think this will be my hobby for the rest of my life. If I can make it a business, if I can make it my, like, life, I will do that. That's how passionate I feel about it. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like the right thing, and it feels good, and it feels healing as hell. <laughs> I have no I mean, doubt business that like, you're going to – Like medical or legal or whatever job I end up doing in my life. Yeah, I have no doubt you're going to carve that out. Absolutely no doubt. One of the things that I think, you know, you've been talking a lot about is timelines and patience and anger and being driven. And, you know, you're, you're using your anger constructively. You're using your anger to, you know, get answers, get results, do the work, you know, tackle the work, not give up on the work and not get discouraged. Um, that's a very constructive way um, to use anger. And I hear, I hear that a lot in your story. Um, Thank you. And I think, you know, anger's not bad. I, I, think, I didn't know anger's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a, no, it's not a bad thing. And, you know, you're using it, you're using it for, for good. So can you tell me what, you, what is your earliest memory in, in thought? What is your earliest memory, you know, going way back there? I mean, do you have memories of foster care places as a child at oh, all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, of course I do. I have really good memories. I actually would, I compare myself the two different characters, Memento is one of them, the guy who, like, I don't know if you know anybody in the movie Memento, but he couldn't remember things, so he kept every little thing and kept notes. Um, I am somebody that kept every single piece of paper or gift I've been given since I was four years old. That's one way I remember things, and I remember things based on, like, tactile touching and, like, smell and things like that. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. from a young age, I've been a, I've been my, and I think this is the difference between myself and any, and others is that we all do things differently. We all have different brains and my brain is a record keeper and a, I, but my, I'm also Dory in the sense that the Dory from Finding Nemo in the movie where she doesn't remember things and forgets things all the time. Like my short term <laughs> memory is out of the control like my my boyfriend or my daughter anybody can tell me something and five minutes later i might have forgotten what you were talking mm. about i might forget mm-hmm. the movie we watched last week and i might forget that i watched a movie until i've watched it halfway through and be like oh yeah i remember that movie but other things i remember everything of it's really strange but um my earliest memory it's a very, there's some strange memories. I remember being bit in the face as a child that like there's trauma memories I have. And then there's, there's a memories that I have. Um, like I remember there's some really strange memories and they're trauma. These are memories that actually have been going through my head recently because I'm trying to match things together. Like these are, these are the things that you would be like, this is like, 
like I remember walking through an aqueduct. So I was like four or five years old and it was in this, the Marin County mountains and it was me and other children and adults go, looking, we were doing mushroom hunting in the middle of like some like fall winter day, walking through one of those big silver, like, like they're called, I think aqueducts that you go through the mountain to drain water. I remember like crawling through one of those. I remember eating pokey and out of a bowl. Like at least I know it's silly. These are like silly memories, but like, why was I eating pokey at four or five years old? I have no idea. Why was I, um, I remember them talking to me about stinky cheese. And this is the um, group home staff members that are also more than likely not, they're, they're my abusers. So it's, I remember being, um, I remember being locked out of, and the, the Marin County is the main memories I have. And well, I remember everything from Sonoma, which is, I was placed out of Marin County, which was the abusive group home that I was in for three years from the age of three years old to six years old. And mm-hmm. I was placed from there to a foster parent that was trained for one day by the group home that I was being placed out of. And I was placed into a foster home in Sonoma. But the memories I have of Marin County that are really unique and not okay. And am I, are you guys, we, everyone that listens knows that there's triggers, right? I don't want to yeah. say something that's triggering because this yeah, is a triggering yeah, conversation. Trigger, trigger warning. That's okay. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. This will be a trigger yeah. warning for sure. And um, it's just like we were forced to um, eat dog food at this group home. We were forced to – and these are – I actually have people that remember this too. And I have staff members that are willing to talk about this. And this is – I found this all out before I turned 40, and no one wanted to help me. But – um, we were forced to stand on our heads for hours in the hall. We were forced to um, stay outside while they were inside, um, well, and they as in the house parents. Um, we were also forced to uh, watch them have sex, and they would make us watch uh, movies of people having sex with animals, and they, they would put us mm-hmm. in different sexual positions as children. And we had an older girl that lived there, and if she ever caught us doing – like, I remember – because we were sexualized at that age and we were doing sexual things, we would sexualize each other outside of the um, room that we were doing it in. And it would be at nighttime. I remember that. And they would wear like white robes and the, the house parents would. And I remember that whenever we would get caught doing sexual acts outside of the room that we were doing it in, that the older girl was the, the warning girl and she would, we would get in trouble. And when we get in trouble, we would be forced to be sit. We would be locked in our rooms without food, and we would be um, separated from the rest of the group. And I remember being separated, and like I can't watch Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is a really triggering movie for me because I remember watching it through the cracks of like the door because I wasn't allowed to be with the rest of the group because I had been bad because we got caught humping each other behind a bathroom door or just all sorts of crazy shit. It's sorry. It's just it's a lot and. I don't even talk to therapists about that because it just it's just like one little thing compared to everything else I've been through. It's like like I just it's tiring to tell the same story and not have anything happen from it. And just there's no I don't know how to explain it other than it just feels like it's not going anywhere. Well like no, I want exactly justice. So you want to feel when when you tell your story that it's for a um a purpose that ha- there's a purpose behind it that's going to be beneficial to someone in some way instead of it being uh, traumatic. Um, yeah. And, and like there's a, there's a guy that, that when I found out the, 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 the director of that program, 
is still currently working in the system, but he rehabilitates sex offenders now. And he was a director for a program for kids that were in like heavily abused homes that had to be in like really, really therapeutic, like group homes and foster care settings. Not only was I not in a therapeutic foster group home setting with them, I was not placed in a therapeutic foster home either. And I never even received any type of trauma therapy. And this person not only like was working with trauma, traumatized, abused children, he switched over to the other side. It's like being a defender and then now all of a sudden you become a prosecutor. No one does that. It just doesn't happen. You don't switch sides unless you're uh, you're the, the, on the dark side in the first place. And that is like the fuel in my heart to like just to just I want to demantle that person's like existence in the, in the in the court system. I don't think they should be working in the court system anymore. And they are in the Bay Area, and I just think it's disgusting. Well, absolutely, there needs to be exposure, and that's the thing, you know, where the trigger is, and, and, and rightfully so, is because, you know, so many of the abusers were not exposed. They were able to get away with what they did. Um, and when it's in plain sight, yeah. you know, when it's someone who's in a, uh, you know, in a public position, um, it should be, um, it's more, to me, it's so reprehensible. So the fact that you're calling them out on it, I, you know, we need people like, we need you. You know, we need your voice and we need your work and we need your drive um, because, um, when you, you know, when you're on the receiving end of hearing something like this, it's common sense. It's absolutely atrocious. It's an injustice. Yeah. Um, and how kind and no one should be able to take a class if you're I'm sorry there's no class that's going to teach somebody sorry if you could please correct me if I'm wrong and I've read articles that say this no one could be unlearned if you like if you are a sexual predator for children you should be warned the community should always be warned of you because that is a it's not going to be fixed you cannot fix it it's inherently inside of you there's nothing there's no amount of classes that you're going to take that's going to make you stop being lustful towards children and I'm sorry, that doesn't make it fair that if you did it to a child before, you shouldn't be allowed to go to some class and then be, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not on the Megan's list anymore. Oh, no, I'm not listed as a child, child sex offender anymore because I took a class at the court. Um, that is atrocious and disgusting to me because it's not fixable. Just like if you have a felony, it's never going to go away to the California. No, no one, no one's, the felons don't get to get off of it. Even if you have your clean slate program, the federal government still knows that you're a felon. I think for the state, I think that that's how it should be for the community. If you're a child offender, you'll always be a child offender. I think there's a future for you in public office. Say that again? <laughs> I think there's a future for you in public office. Have you ever thought about that? No, I've heard. I've heard. I, I don't know. I don't even know if, how to do that. I just need direction. I've, I have no guidance. It's like... I've been guide, guiding myself for so long that I, it's like, and you know, life coaches are very expensive. <laughs> so like, but I will write that down, public office, I'm going to see that. I definitely think law is uh, something that is very passionate to me, though. Like, law is interesting, very interesting, especially when I found so many things that are written about. There are so many articles, especially back in the 80s and 90s. It's almost like they wrote more about it then than they do now. Um, about how atrocious it was for us. And now all of a sudden, like, it's just kind of been forgotten and, and there's all these reforms that have happened, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't change what had happened. And those people that were, it, it's really strange to me that we talk about all of that things that happened in the 80s and 90s when the, the foster care system was so terrible in California. 
and maybe all over the country, I believe, or most of the states had it too in the 80s and 90s. But an overrun, they were overran and under understaffed and underpaid. So they came up with all this reform. But those those things that happened still happened, and they still need to be addressed and investigated. And and the people that there are other people that I feel have lost the balloon, and they have no air in their balloon like I do. Like I have. I'm a hot air balloon, and I'm flying as high as I can. I don't care. I'm fighting for it. But there's people that are just down on the air. Oh, they don't, they don't want to fight. They just, and I, I feel sad because I maybe it is triggering, but I wish a way to bridge that for them because it is healing. It's to, even though it seems like they're they're scared and that, that trigger and like that that pain, the reward on the other end, the the, the being awoke awoken from this like oppression, is so I feel alive for the first time in my life. Like, oh, I've never felt that way. Like, I actually feel like I have control over my life finally because of just knowing the knowledge of my own self, like, and knowing that I have the power to look for it myself and not depend on others to tell me my history. It's empowering. I don't think a lot of people know that because they're mm-hmm. in oppressive relationships or they're in oppressive addictions or they're no longer here with us. You know, there's so many things that happen to people that went through what we've all been through. Yes, and secrecy, as you just mentioned, can be so deeply damaging. But, you know, it's a suppression. We're keeping it inside. I mean, we, and part of, you know, acknowledging these things and saying them out loud and bringing out the truth is, is it's, it's healing because it's no longer inside. That's why it's so important to talk about it, um, whether you talk about it publicly like you are right now or with someone that you have uh, can confide in. But we, you know, Suppression of the truth is so deeply damaging, um, and and it's speaking sad. of it as, it, I, as you just mentioned, it's, it's very freeing. It is. And I didn't mean to cut you off. You were saying it's so sad. No, it's just sad. No, that's it's just sad that it's this way. <laughs> that that um, mm-hmm. it's like a, you're stuck behind, between a rock and a hard place in that situation and I think people don't see the light as to where to get like I surely didn't understand and I really still don't but I do know that I just keep going towards what feels better and keeps making me feel better and the more I am more it's it's weird (laughs) like even in my psychiatry appointments I would never talk to other people in the in in the lobby and for the first time I finally like was like uh, I was empathetic towards others and they were talking to me and I was talking to them and it felt good to like not judge them for being there because I'm there too. We're all waiting for the same thing. And it was like, okay, like it's just sort of acceptance of who you are. Like it's not compared to others or other societal members or other people that are quote unquote normal, because I realized there is no normal. It's just, we all are, Even people that haven't been through a trauma of childhood trauma, there's something like there's always adversity in everyone's life. And that if we could just see that and try to understand that we as the survivors of childhood abuse are special and unique in what we've been through, but we don't have to ostracize ourselves so much from the others that are around us that haven't been through it because they also are victims of other things they might have been through, but they might be able to understand you as well. We just have to like... It's it's not it's it's hard to it's hard it's really hard and you just stay away from the bad people that are mean and judgmental they're assholes they're not worth their time <laughs> it's just you can't you can't win everybody's like approval and if, if someone's judging you based on something that you couldn't even control they're not worth your time or effort 
to explain yourself to them. It's a waste of effort. So just move on because you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to change their mind. And there's no point in trying to because it's a waste of your time and it's a waste of your effort because maybe someone else will be able to help. It's not, I tried to convince people of why I was normal and why things were okay, but why I'm not normal or abnormal. I'm just me. And I just needed, I needed to not convince everybody else, but convince myself that I'm okay. And that's what I started focusing on is just more of my own self. Well, I like to know who gets the crown for actually defining, you know, in, in the dictionary or on, you know, dictionary.com what normal is because I'm not, I don't know who yeah. gets to do that, but I'm with you. I don't, I don't, I don't know if there is a normal. Um, you know, I know we're, 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 gosh, almost, almost 20 minutes left, and I'd like to introduce the panel on one more time if you're okay sure. with that. Um, yeah, so, Dr. Nance, unmute your line and uh, welcome you back into the conversation with Brandy. Yes, Brandy. Um, I don't really have much to say. I've really enjoyed listening to you tonight. Um, you know, that passion that you are showing, um, I, just like um, I believe it was um, Lori that said this, but I, I love the fact that you're using, or I'm not sure if it was Ms. Nelsie there, but I love the fact that you're using your passion in a good, positive way. You know, you're, you're using you. your you're using your whatever, whatever is driving you, you're using it for good to help others, for the better good of others. And, um, and so I just want to, again, just commend you for not allowing it to, um, to put you just in a dark place where you're just stuck, but you're using it to, to help propel you and move you forward. And, uh, and just thank you. Continue using your voice. I think you're doing a wonderful job. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Dr. Nancy. I'd like to invite Lori back into the conversation. So, Lori, you're back on with Brandy. Brandy, I think you are an amazing person, honestly. Uh, the start of what happened to you didn't totally consume that goodness that you're showing from inside you, which is natural. So that's part of what you don't have to look for as to who it came from, that's one of the gifts Thank you've you. got. You know, I believe you will get into the field where you are helping people. Either it's going to be um, in social service or higher. You can go into the paramedic field. You got a brain that works. So oh yeah, you, you, you put the nail on the head. I wanted to be a but paramedic, so, actually. <laughs> so funny. So, yeah. so one thing that I want to leave you with to think about is. You're spending a lot, a lot, and a lot of time on finding out answers from your past, which is, like I said, normal. But you got to realize there's only the 25, the 24 hours in the day. It's like you have to at least take an hour or two off for yourself every day, right. just to okay. just to know who you are changing into. Because as you're going through all this process. Your mind is changing. You'll spot it one day, especially after tonight. You know, something's going to be different about you the next few nights. you got a whole bunch of friends over here now that understand you, and their numbers are accessible, and you're a lovely person to talk to. So you're going to do it. You are definitely going to do it. I appreciate you. Thank you for saying that. You're very welcome. Thank you, Lauren. Oh, thank you, Lori. I agree with everything Lori and 
and Dr. Nancy said, by the way. Thank you, Lori. It's great to have you on tonight. Oh, I'm going to um, bring Philip back on. And, Philip, you are back on with Brandy. wondering if you have any questions for her. Um, did your view, like, in your computer, with your ability to make romantic relationships? Um, no. Um, that's a good question. It has... Oh, sorry. Can you ask the question again? Sorry. Um, does... If I can remember, um, does your abuse interfere with your ability to make and maintain romantic relationships? Um, you said romantic relationships, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, I would say both romantic and non-romantic. But um, the abuse... Uh, it's made it, it's like ingrained in your, it's really hard for someone who's been abused as much as I have. I, and I'm, I am generalizing. I apologize. It is kind of like a, it's like a textbook type thing where I've read about a lot and says that it's a code, the codependency thing is where we believe that in order to get love, we need to provide something to someone that needs something. And like we're continuously providing something to somebody, which would be your time, your effort, your body, your um, complacency, your, uh, a lot of times we get into abusive relationships because we are used to being abused. And so abuse feels like love because abuse is attention in some way because deprivation and negligence, I was neglected and deprived as well. So uh, when you're neglected and deprived and have nothing, no attention, no food or love or touch, if someone's smacking you around, it feels better than nothing. And that's not really hard to say that I'm sorry, trigger warning. But it's true that you, your brain's convolution of ability to <laughs> – I'm still like, trying to teach myself what like love is. I don't – I mean, love is like the same sense of normal. Like, I, we can say that we can – I think each person's definition of love is going to be different. Um, I'm sure there's a, a textbook definition of love, and there we all have this idea of what love is. But it's going to be different depending on where where you are regionally, where you are in your age mentally, where what genetically you have in your body to think of, like how your brain thinks of love. It could be changed hormonally based on how you are genetically made up. So, like, it's really hard. I know that, generally speaking, abuse survivors – are oftentimes in abusive relationships. And I would say that my first relationship, actually, um, my first, like, real true relationship was with the staff member from my teen group home. So he was 23 and I was 16, and he had complete access to my file. And so that was one of the first police reports I filed in San Francisco was against him, my staff member, 40, when I'm 40 years old, I'm filing against a guy who was dating me when I was 16. The police were looking at me and, like, laughing pretty much, literally, like, giggling, like, what are you doing? And I know that I had the right to do so, but I, the thing about it is it took me this long to realize that what he was doing was wrong. And it's weird because my daughter at the time was only, like, a year old, so she considers him, like, a father, so she, at 23, was telling me, uh, she's 24 now, but she was like, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe, you know, he took care of you. He did these things for you. And I can't even be- begin to describe to you how hard it is for me to have to not really, ex- 
I can't explain it to her in a way that she'd ever really understand why I would do what I was doing and file against him. But I feel empowered that I did it because it's the first step that I'm doing in recognizing that that little girl who was 16 was still a little girl and deserved to be in a situation that wasn't with a staff member. And from there, you know, I've had some healthy relationships and I've had some unhealthy relationships and I'd be grateful to say, and I've, I've, I've cheated on people before and I've not cheated on people before and I've been cheated on. And I've had some, I think that all in all though, I'm a pretty damn great partner, um, but I have a lot of emotional issues and I come with a lot of baggage, um, but I make up for it in the compassion and empathy and love that I can show and shower my partners with. And I love to like cuddle and snuggle and touch because of the lack of touch I've had. And I think I've found others, you know, my best partners have been those who need that touch and love and cuddling as well which is just as important as a sexual intimacy. Um, and I, I crave them both the same, you know, and I can be faithful to one partner. And some people that have been through things have a hard time getting close to just one partner because it's very vulnerable. And that promiscuity of being with multiple partners isn't to be judged. It's because it's difficult for them or it's something that they find to be normal. So there's no judgment in how people decide to be in their relationships, but we all deal with it differently, I think, as survivors. Okay. Well, thank you, Philip. That was a great question. And thank you, Brandy, for your, you know, testimony on that. These things are not easy to talk about. You're just, you're really, you're so um, humble. And I, for me, humility was part of, a really important part of recovery. And it still is because we got to, like, we got to be honest about ourselves because then we can, you know, be honest about what we need to work on. Um and True. I remember we actually have a, a NASCA family member. I'm going to give her credit. She said this many times, so I'm sure she wouldn't mind. Her name is Victoria Kelly. We love her. And she has her shows <laughs> on certain nights a week. And she just said, you know, one day, you know, she was telling somebody, you know, I'm just so sick of being crazy. And this was a healthcare professional. And they said, you know what, you need to really challenge the way you think about that because you're not crazy. The, what your mind did, right, what what we do to survive the really unsurvivable, yeah. it would be crazy if you didn't do that. Like, you know, you're not crazy. You know, it would be crazy as if you didn't develop, you know, these triggers and you didn't develop these, um, you know, these things that you're working on because we do them to survive. And so she she really helped me see that um, um, that, yes, we have things that we work on, you know, relationships, you know, our own um, – parenting of ourselves and our, our self-love. Um, and they're appropriate things to work on, I, I think, if you feel like they should be part of your recovery. But I think we also, it's part of that self-compassion that you discussed earlier as well. Um, we need to understand that um, we survived and we, we did the best that we could. Um, and, and there's a reason that we are the way that we are, like come together. You start to understand yeah. yourself more, why you react to things a certain way. And there is something that brings a lot of, you know, contentment. You know, I think, it, like you said, there are certain answers that we get just from by doing the work um, on ourselves. Yeah. So um, while, you know, no, we can't spend 24 hours a day looking for answers, I think a lot of those are inherent in recovery. So um, I, re- I commend you for doing that. So we have about 10 minutes left. I just want to turn it over to you on the next, you know, five, six minutes and just, you know, what, what else would you like us to know about you and your, and your story? I'm really bad at that. I'm like, I don't know. Um, I know. 
I don't, I pretty much, I feel like I've said so much. Um, I, uh, you know, there's, I'm just sort of in a holding pattern at this point in my life. Um, I'm trying to, I think getting a therapist will be the first step in um, feeling a little bit less uh, isolated. Having a um, county psychiatrist is not the best feeling in the world because you're just one of many. But, you know, when you're in a place of, like, I really feel like I'm in a desolate, I'm in, like a, I'm in a desert with nobody. That's kind of how I feel right now. Like, not now I feel like I've, you guys are like the mirage and there's like, oh, there might be some water over there. <laughs> like, but I've been feeling really lonely and like on an island. And so I, it's like a really hard place to be. And so, and it, as much as I know you guys say like not to, um, like when she's, uh, Lori was telling me about, you know, just, not getting too caught up with the answers from the past. I do need to say that I just discovered this stuff like three months ago about like these, these, these scars, these pictures with me that have like sutures and it's pretty bad. Like I wish I could share images that you guys could see. And like, I'm almost to the point where I want to start like really actually sharing these things with some of these survivors that people could see like, because I've had people say, I don't see them at all. I don't see what you're talking about. But, like, other people are like, oh, my God, this is crazy. There's, like, a huge line of sutures going down your arm on both sides. What the hell? And so, like, I can't – it's, like, there's a – like, it's, like, kind of like that um, fascination with, um, like, someone watching a horror film and wants to watch the ending. Like, well, how does it end? I'm sorry. It's not – I'm not trying to compare my life to a horror film, but it is, like, sort of like a Frankenstein-ish type thing to be, like, looking at a photo of yourself yeah. that's, like – there's like actually a dog that has sutures on it too. Like it's really weird. It's just, it's kind of like, it's like, I wish I could make a comedy about it, but it's not funny right now. It's not like, it's just like, what the hell, what the F is this? Like what? And I had some leads with like other people that like survived the same thing. And one of them is in federal prison. And I was like reaching out to one of his friends on Facebook yesterday and they were willing to talk to me, but I couldn't get a hold of them. And, I've reached out to old social workers. Like, I it's only been three months that I found this out. So, like, I can't just be like, oh, yeah, I'm done trying to look it up and figure it out. It's just, it's it's inherently, like, part of my body in my life and who I am as a human. I've always been an investigative individual, and I've always kept track of everything in my life. And it's crazy because I actually opened this jewelry box up that I've had my whole life. And it's a jewelry box that I've, I've, I've put little things, trinkets. I've had trinkets from since I was four. And it, specifically, there's this little chain that's blue. It's made out of beads, and it's got little feathers that are plastic, and they're like so. There's like blue beads with a little feather, and a, it's a fake feather. And I look, I've been thinking about it for the last three months, and so I decided to go look at it the other day because I remember there's only two things I've owned since I was in Marin. One of them is a Winnie the Pooh doll that I looked at recently that has da 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 suture marks sewn in it as if it went from, like, St. Jude's or Children's Hospital and somebody decided when I went through the surgery, hey, Brandy needs to own a doll that has the suture marks that she had, the suture surgery marks that she went through. This doll has literally sutures that are exactly matching the pictures that have the scars on them. So then I'm like, oh, let me, I've been thinking about that box because that box had that necklace. I open the necklace up. I, I, I open it up and I look at the necklace and lo and behold, I have a magnifying glass that I purchased from Joanne and a black light recently. And it, it, I looked at this stupid little necklace. I shouldn't say it's stupid because it's not. I, I belittle myself sometimes. 
this wonderfully great necklace, necklace this little girl myself decided to hold on to since I was four. It has dried up like drips of blood on it. And I'm thinking it more than likely was taken off of me in the accident, and that's why I kept it. There's so many things about mm-hmm. this, my memories that are coming up. I, I remember during this time, too, that there was this large sun that was made out of paper mache newspaper. I remember it being made in front of me, and its hands were outstretched, and it was almost the same size as me, and it had, like, sunglasses on and big sun rays, and that was turned into a yellow sun with black sunglasses. These all happened in this, the year of 89. The 89 earthquake happened at the time. But these memories I'm having are all, like, coming together, and I'm trying to put them together now as I'm getting, like, more and more information. So um, I guess I'm reiterating to Lori and to everybody who's listening, like, I eventually want to be done with this, but, like, it's just the beginning of me trying to figure out what happened. And I don't even know where to go to ask for help because no one – everywhere I've gone so far has not – been fruitful and being like yes brandy here you go here's the line for the doctors that you can get checked out make sure that you were okay that you didn't go through this i just need help and i don't know how to get it well i think you're first of all i want to just challenge one thing that you said earlier which is that you're at a, an impasse or a standstill with your recovery i don't think so because you're on the show tonight so i don't think okay. that you're at a standstill at all i think okay. you're not you're doing it you're absolutely doing um, it and um, you know, be gentle with yourself. I I would want to have answers too, especially if I had you know discernible marks of something that had happened to me. And I I think that you know it may not be within your time desire timeline. I think you'll get those answers because I think you're going to chip away at it. One thing I if I can impart a little bit of wisdom is I kept giving myself deadlines, or or I kept thinking that if the harder I work, the quicker I'll get to the answers and I'll get to the end. And what I realized was that was just really setting me up for disappointment, that I just had to accept it was a journey and just to keep, yep. on, keep on the road every day and keep putting one foot exactly. in front of the other. And Absolutely. that, that you know, and you, and you will, you will. There's a lot of answers out there. You might not get them all, but I think you're going to get a lot of them. I do. And I really want thank to you. thank you for coming on the show tonight because it's been an amazing show. And um, thank you. I, really I did want that. I hope you guys are oh, about that. Makes me feel really great. <laughs> it's been an incredible thank show. You. Um, your um, your contribution um, to telling your truth um, to um, the world tonight is going to be helping so many people. I think it takes a lot of courage, and I just want to commend you for that. I also want to thank. I do want to thank Dr. Nancy, uh, my co-host, for. Um, co-hosting the show with me and being on my host team this evening. We're a great team. I want to thank Lori, um, thank another you. Nazca family member and host for coming on. I want to thank Philip. And I want to remind everyone to go to nasca.org, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot O-R-G. If you ever want to volunteer and get involved, there is a volunteer button. We have so many areas of need. It is so low key. It is very, a very, for me, it was a great place to dip my big toe in. And it, it provided actually two benefits, not only am I, am I volunteering, but it actually is helping me with my recovery and having this community. So if, if you, when you feel the time is right, if anybody wishes to get um, involved um, in, in the smallest way, we've got a lot of areas in which to become involved. So I'm just going to throw that out there also on the NASCA website, again, www.naasca.org. And finally, I do want to mention that NASCA is a fully nonprofit 501c3 organization. 
we rely on donations from our memberships. Uh, we are self-sustaining, so there's also a donate button. Even a few dollars helps, believe it or not. Our overhead is very, very low. Um, but um, we, we do appreciate um, any, any donation in, in any amount, so I wanted to say that as well. Um, and before I sign off tonight, I always say this, um, and I'm not going to stop saying it until I am, um, <laughs> until I, for every, every time I host the show, and I'm not going to stop saying it because I truly believe that the infrastructure is there to be able to keep every child safe because there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to literally be in the know about everything that happens to children. So if you hear something, if you see something, please say something, do something. It is all of our responsibility collectively to keep our children safe. So I wish to thank you again. Um, this scan number, again, it's November 11th. 2023. This is scan number 3266. It will be available on the NASCO website within about 30 minutes. And again, Brandy, I really, I really thank you so much for coming on tonight. And I wish you well. Please keep in touch. Uh, there's also thank a you. contact list on the NASCO website, and we are all accessible uh, by phone or by email. So thank you, thank you, thank you very, very much. And thank you Great. all for being on, and I wish you a very good night. You too. Thank you so much. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.